Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to Socks on Tap. Tony, I, I, my first reaction is just, fuck yes, let's go. Socks, that's, that's where it all starts. It all starts taking care of business in-house in the Central Division. That's right, I'm a meatball. You gotta bring that top button swag, baby. It is always great to beat the Cubs. And I'm a homer, so I always say they're gonna. Dallas Keiko Lansing got some beards that you should be afraid of. What everybody said when he gets out there, it's me versus the other guy, and I'm gonna beat him. So I just love that mentality. It's cool and fucking tough. Steve, Steve, would you say that Tony is mad online? I, I would definitely say that. The White Sox winner. Hello, White Sox fans, and welcome in to a Sunday fun day edition of Sox on Tap. It's Tony Marchese alongside NWI Steve. We've got some White Sox news to get to today, and uh, we'll talk a little hot stove action. But before we do, be sure you're going to ontapsportsnet.com for all your Chicago sports literature and podcasting needs. I'm here with Steve. Steve, how you doing? Thanksgiving weekend. White Sox news to talk about. Hope you're doing well. Let's uh, let's hear how you are today on this Sunday. Hey, yo, Anthony. I'm running on fumes right now. Didn't get in bed till about three o'clock this morning. Here, uh, did not get a very good night's sleep, so not very well rested. But I'm committed to excellence, so I'm here, continuing to fight and push forward. Hey, there you go, Steve. That's that's all we can ask for. We've got White Sox news to get to. Let's start with the renovations in the 500 level, Steve. Uh, yesterday we had some some news break through that the Sox are going to be changing up the 500 level. I'm not a huge 500 level guy. We'll get to Mike Clevenger in just a second, but I want to get to some fan experience stuff first. 500 level skybox bar. There's not too much additional news out around that, but uh, what are you thinking? Are you going to go check this thing out when it's uh, when it's all done? You know, I'll wait to kind of see what the renderings look like of it. I'm almost wondering if it might be something similar to what the Rockies did at Coors Field, I want to say a couple, two, three years ago. Um, I know that's kind of been a thing that we're seeing with some of the quote-unquote older ballparks. Um, Cleveland did that a couple of years ago, kind of renovating their, their upper deck, and then they're doing another renovation here in the next couple of seasons. So a lot of the teams around the league that really aren't maximizing their capacity are trying to find different innovative ways to utilize the space there with some premium seating and, and some bar type options there. So it'll be a little interesting to see what exactly they do with that. Um, and if it's down the lines there, you know, kind of curious to see what kind of sight lines or how they're going to go about structuring them. Because I thought I saw that they're just hacking off. I want to say eight rows of eight seats rows. across two sections. So, I'm, I'm a little interested to see what that's going to look like. Um, I saw somebody on, on twatter.com kind of mention almost if they wonder if it will be like the Miller Lite landing that is over in right field that um, replaced the Goose RIPIP. So, you know, we'll see what it looks like. But like you, I haven't been up in the 500 level in quite some time. So if I get up there, I get up there. If I don't, I don't. Yeah, it'll be interesting uh, to see what uh, what shakes out there. Now, my my first thought is, which side of the ballpark are they going to put this on? Um, I know that uh, it would be advantageous for them to put this on the side that is facing downtown Chicago. I think that that would align for some, uh, you know, good photo opportunities as well as sight lines of the ball field itself. But 
Um, you know, it's not going to be a priority spot for me. I, I did see uh, I, our guy, Matt Berkland had an article up on ONTAP Sports said about it. Um, and he brought up the fact that, you know, there's really no option up in the 500 level to get certain types of alcoholic beverages. And, you know, this might solve that problem because you've got the whole on weekends, uh, nobody allowed down from the 500 level. So, you know, it, it might be a nice spot um, for a packed game if you can get there early, get into this little, you know, 500 area, the more premium seating type thing um, as an additional uh, spot that you can go taking a ball game from. So we'll have more on that um, as soon as it's, uh, you know, kind of closer to completion and we know more about it. But I just wanted your thoughts on that. I thought it was an interesting addition uh, to the offseason work that the White Sox are doing. Um, and let's let's just break into the big topic of the day here, Steve. Mike Clevenger uh, has agreed. It seems like this is still pending a physical uh, to terms on a contract with the Chicago White Sox. We don't have any deals uh, deal numbers at this time, um, but we do know that Mike Clevenger is uh, the newest member of your Chicago White Sox pending a physical uh, let's just get some in instant reaction here, Steve, and then we'll break into uh, what this kind of means for the rotation and all that good stuff. It's a move to bring in a serviceable back-end Major League starter. They have an innings volume issue that they need to address with John Cueto, um, seemingly not being brought back by the team here, either by his choice or by the team's choice. So we know that they have a void that they need to fill right there, and this is going to – prevent them from having to utilize Davis Martin as the number five starter right out of the shoot in spring training. So that I think is a positive thing going with a guy that has had success at the major league level. Granted, it has been a couple of years. Granted, he has had multiple Tommy John surgeries. So there is a high level of risk involved with a guy like Mike Clevenger. Uh, the stuff simply has not played up to where it was 2018, 2019, since he came back from that second Tommy John surgery. So it's not a move that is going to significantly alter the trajectory of the 2023 White Sox in my estimation. I know I've seen a lot of stuff on the interwebs here about, oh, just get them into the cat's lab and, and let them work. I think as a fan base, we really need to caution ourselves with utilizing that line of thought. Um, I know Ethan Katz has had some success here in his time as major league pitching coach he got a lot of credit for helping to revitalize carlos Rodon's career um you know he's obviously played a pretty significant role in helping dylan cease ronaldo lopez jimmy lambert and and some other guys but the wide-ranging assumption that i'm kind of seeing across the board here almost is that he's all of a sudden going to revert back to 2018 2019 mike clevenger just because he's going to be working with ethan katz i think we need to pump the brakes on that yeah, that's a you know an interesting thing I've seen. The, the cat's lab has been a term that I've seen more today than any other day um, on Twitter. Uh, but just some some thoughts here on on Clevenger. I like the signing. I think it's a a really good name that you've brought in here. Obviously, this was a guy who was linked to the Sox, I believe, back in 2020. Um, ultimately ends up getting traded to the San Diego Padres from Cleveland. He gave the White Sox fits um, and pretty much every start uh, that he faced him when he was with the Cleveland Indians at the time. Um, and, you know, he's just an interesting case. San Diego is where a lot of good pitchers 
really seem to go to die. Um, and you know, the, the fact that there's the injury, the Tommy John surgery, a little concerning. And then I would say my biggest concerns here, Steve, are, are two things. And the first one is his strikeout per nine his K per nine, uh, in 2022, was a career low, including his rookie year in 2016. That came in at a, a 7.2 here, um, and I, I don't really, I don't really like that number uh, being his career low. Uh, and then also his hit per nine is a, a career high outside of his rookie year in 2016. He did manage to throw. Uh, I believe about 115 innings. I think he came in at about 114 and uh, one third. Uh, so there's the volume that you're talking about. I do think there is some upside here, though, Steve, with that that cat's lab kind of thinking. Um, you know, it's he, he's a premium name somewhat on this market. Uh, we still got to see what the what the numbers come out to here. I'm expecting something like one year with maybe an option year that uh, if Clevenger does return to form, you're not going to see him back. I would be surprised and shocked if there's three years on this deal. Um, but I, I think at this point in time, uh, they, they did work some magic with Johnny Cueto last year. Uh, and, you know, this is kind of getting that signing out of the way somewhat early here. And it's just interesting to me that the Sox kind of jumped out on this free agent pitching market when we didn't we heard all we've heard is that they're going to have to go and acquire somebody via trade or you know figure out something of that nature to kind of make an addition here i like the signing i like that they were somewhat aggressive with it um it is a sexier name than what you could have picked up uh so it's got that going for it but i i kind of like the high upside with this and you know if it's a short-term deal and he's you know, looking worse than what Dallas Keuchel did, uh, you could bounce him out of town real quick. So I think that that's kind of my initial reaction to this. It's it's a lot of upside for not a lot of risk. Yeah, a couple things to add on to that. Uh, first is you were talking about the decline in strikeout rate and the fastball velocity. I was just took a quick glance at his uh, page on Baseball Savant. His forcing fastball was just getting hammered last year, and I think that probably is – in some way due to the decline in overall velocity that we did see from him. And if I recall correctly, I believe it was maybe his slider that graded out as his best pitch. So kind of makes me wonder if maybe Ethan Katz is going to take a look at that and see, you know, maybe he needs to pitch backwards the way that Dylan Cease has evolved in the sense of utilizing the slider more frequently to get ahead and not be so reliant on the forcing fastball that has been declining from a velocity standpoint. Um, so that'll be something interesting to kind of keep an eye on during spring training, especially and in the early stages of the regular season. As it relates to the contract terms here, I think you're right in the sense that this is not going to be a long-term deal. I'm almost wondering in some of the speculation that I have seen and kind of heard through the grapevine a little bit was maybe a one-year guarantee for about $10 bucks with an option year on there and maybe like a 2 or $3 million buyout. Um, of that second year, kind of getting that total to about 12 to $13 million. So we'll obviously have to kind of wait and see what the final terms come out to be here after the physical is completed. But if, if you do that, look, that's a type of low risk um, signing that unfortunately this team has to utilize because of where they are at financially and because of who owns them. 
So this well, is and where I will we're at. I will say I mean to to me we can we can sit here and go back and forth on you know the 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 fact of the owner and what the the payroll structure is and where all this working within constraints. I really like this deal. Um, if that's what it turns out to be. Now, what I don't want to see is, like I said, something three years where we're we're over $30 million on something where we're getting locked in because we had to go outbid somebody. I'm hoping that, that it's the opposite this time because we've seen that with this White Sox club before, Steve, uh, where they're tacking on extra years that they don't have contracts just to get somebody in the door. Um, and this doesn't have that feeling, uh, to me at least, that uh, you know they they went out and overpaid for Mike Clevenger. Obviously, we, we have to wait and see. But at least um, you know just the the way that they were linked to him and the way this developed rather quickly. There was no mystery team in the sweepstakes that came in and and kind of you know mucked that around. I think it'll be beneficial for him to be back in the AL Central. I will say this though: what a shitty year to try and bring somebody back when you're going to the more balanced schedule, uh, I think that kind of works against the White Sox here. Uh, you know, just in terms of his knowledge of the ballparks and of the rosters and of, of how AL Central kind of works. I know he's been a couple years removed from that, but what you really got to hope for is I think something that you had on earlier, that volume. I'd like to see 150 innings from Mike Clevenger uh, if possible. And, you know, some a little bit of uptick in those strikeout numbers of what you had last season. The other thing that's a little concerning to me, and I was going to ask if you're concerned about it as well, is the fact that he gave up 20 long balls uh, with the Padres last year. Uh, now he's going to be pitching a lot of baseball games in uh, guaranteed rate field. So are you concerned that uh, we're going to see some long ball action off of uh, the the uh, – the old Mike Clevenger shimmy shuffle uh, at 35th and Shields this summer. That definitely is a concern, but again, I think that's where looking at it and evaluating the pitch mix for Clevenger and trying to optimize his arsenal is really going to be of paramount importance coming to a smaller ballpark that historically does give up more long balls, just as long as, you know, recent vintage White Sox players aren't standing in the batter's box. So that'll be fascinating to kind of take a look at, but it definitely is something to keep an eye on and monitor here because um, the ball definitely June, July, August carries a lot more at the corner of 35th and Shields than it does with that heavy Marine air in San Diego. Absolutely does. So that's something we're going to have to look out for. Where do you think he slots into this rotation, Steve? Because you know, obviously Dylan Cease, as of right now, is going to roll into this season as as your number one. You're going to have uh, Lance Lynn back. Michael Kopech it should hopefully take a step forward this season. You know, maybe he slots in as your 4-5 guy to start the year. Obviously, Lucas Giolito, he's my number five right now, hands down. Uh, but you never know where they're going to slot him in. Uh, where, where does Clevenger fit in this rotation uh, especially because there's no lefty righty real mix with this, uh, you know, addition of Mike Clevenger to this. This is a very right-handed um, starting rotation. It's all righties. So, uh, you know, where does he fit in? I would say he definitely is in the back end of the rotation there in that number four, number five range, depending on how they want to line him up. 
I know you said that you uh, that Lucas Giolito is your number five. I don't think that's how it's going to play out. I don't foresee them slotting him in that particular spot. I think he will probably be at number three within the rotation. So I think your four five is going to be a combination of Michael Kopech and Clevenger and however they want to line that up there. So who knows? It could be a snare where we might be getting Clevenger for the home opener against the uh, San Francisco Giants and Aaron Judge on, I think that's April 3rd of next year. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if if Judge does wind up in San Fran. Uh, yeah, that, that hey, who knows? But uh, I still think he returns to, to New York for some odd reason. I think he's, he's back in a Yankees uniform. We'll, we'll see. But um, – Clevenger on on the home opener that that would be interesting. I like seeing the new toys uh, out there on the field for the home opener. I don't know about you, but I just think that uh, that's it's kind of cool to see your free agent acquisitions or like you know years past you've got uh, Luis Robert out there or whoever it is. I mean, um, we had Vinny Velo for the home opener this past year. We did. We had Vinny Velo for the home opener this past year. So it it just seems to work out that way. I think you're probably uh, going to wind up right now. We'll have to see though there's going to be inevitably some sort of spring training injury that could shuffle this whole thing up. But uh, yeah, that would, that would definitely be interesting. A Mike Clevenger home opener on the South side. Uh, you know, Steve, any other thoughts from this signing? Where, where do you want to see the White Sox go from here? Obviously cats had mentioned they needed another starting pitcher. They went out and got one. Uh, I don't see them really adding another unless there's a, a, a trade that involves, you know, bringing a left-handed starter into this rotation. Um, but as of right now, I, I think you've got, you've got this and then you might add one type of Vinny Velo style depth piece uh, that you can go and, and, you know, shove Davis Martin down just a little bit um, in your depth chart, but uh, you expect any other big free agent pitching acquisitions. On the pitching side, no, I don't. I think now they're really going to have to shift their focus to addressing second base and then the corner outfield positions. That's really, to me, the two areas of significant need. I know there's been a lot of smoke around the Sean Murphy stuff, and I just don't see it happening. So, to you know, there's some rumor going around about possibly Colton Wong from the Milwaukee Brewers is, you know, the Brewers might be looking to – retool or possibly do a complete teardown. So there's, you know, some interesting things to uh, be paying attention to about 90 miles north of uh, guaranteed rate field there. So we'll keep an eye on that, but they definitely need to address the corner outfield positions here. I fully expect Oscar Colas to be the starting right fielder um, for this team when they open up in Houston on March 30th. So what they go about doing in left field is going to be fascinating here. I definitely would anticipate it being some type of a platoon situation here. And one thing that's going to be really fascinating to me is looking at how they deploy Aloy Jimenez in 2023. We obviously saw him DHing almost primarily when he returned in the second half of this year. So it'll be fascinating if that is going to be his role here going forward. If Pedro Grafol and the new staff that is coming in here view Aloy as a primary DH in which case then you have to really think about left field as a platoon type situation. I've been a big Tommy Pham guy going back to when he was 
with the St. Louis Cardinals. He's got a couple of two tree screws loose upstairs there, but he's a guy that historically hammers left-handed pitching. So if you could pair him with a guy, maybe, maybe a Jesse Winker from Seattle who historically has handled right-handed pitching really well, very suspect defensively. Um, it's going to be almost very comparable to Aloy out there, except he's just not as much of an injury risk to himself and to the other players on the field. But range-wise, um, Winker is going to leave a lot to be desired. So how they go about addressing that corner outfield spot is going to be fascinating, and they need to do so with the long ball in mind. Well, I still think, regardless, I mean, obviously we've got the, the question mark of, of Jose Abreu still. There's still some you know, the national writers out there who are saying that he could return to the White Sox and how that's all going to shake out. You've, you've still got the Osmani Grandal problem of what's his availability going to be. And is that going to force Eloy Jimenez into the outfield more often uh, than you would hope to see Eloy Jimenez in the outfield? I think you're, you're dead on there. It's going to be fascinating to watch how that's handled this season. Um, you know, I, you brought up the name Oscar Colas. Uh, I, I do believe that we will see him, uh, barring any trade of Oscar Colas, uh, on the south side of Chicago uh, next year. Uh, you, you think Gavin Sheets might still be in some sort of a mix for outfield playing time? I mean, Steve, this team has one outfielder right now, and that's Luis Robert. And even crazier is we're seeing rumors of, you know, I don't know if it has any truth to it, but if you dig deep enough, you can see people that have shouted his name as a potential uh, piece moving this offseason. I don't know if I buy that at all, uh, but crazier things have happened. I just I don't know what the plan is with this White Sox outfield next year. And if it involves, you know, 100 games of Eloy Jimenez, you know that you're not going to be able to bank on that because he's going to be on the shelf at some point in time. I don't want to see that. I don't think you want to see that. I don't think any of our listeners want to see that. I want 500 Eloy Jimenez at bats in this lineup because I want to see 30 plus home runs come off of his bat at least one year that he fucking plays for this team. Well, so, he had 30 think, home runs as a rookie in, in 2019. Yeah, I want to see it again. I want to see it again. Okay. And I want I, I want it to be in the middle of the order. And if you don't have Jose Abreu, you need that you need that that amount of at bats from Eloy Jimenez to be competitive. Like that's just hands down. So you you absolutely need to keep this guy healthy. Um, I I did see the Colton Wong stuff as well. I think that's intriguing. I don't know what you have to give up to go get Colton Wong, um, but uh, I don't think it would be too astronomical. Um, there's just there's so many different hypotheticals here, Steve. I don't really know how this really shakes out, but you're going to have to address something. What do we have on the free agent market that you could even bring in uh, to play competitive second base? Hell, I saw. I think it was Scott Greger throughout there. Uh, what about a Cubs, no, what about no, a Cubs no, Sox no, trade no. that brings Nick Madrigal back? I mean, I think I'd rather poke my eyes out with a fork uh, than try and you know navigate around that. But there's I feel a trade coming for second base. You're not going back to Josh Harrison. You might bring Elvis Andrews back if he, if he slots over, I don't know, but it just, that doesn't feel like there's a really sexy option here. Yeah, there definitely is not. And I think Wong would check a couple of boxes. Obviously he's left-handed. He historically has had pretty good plate discipline walks at about a nine, 10% clip, which is something that this team needs from a lineup balance 
perspective, the defense did slide the wrong way last year. And with the changes to the shifting rules in 2023, infield range is going to be more important next year than it has been for the last couple of years. I'm someone that has for four or five years now talked about the fact that I feel like at second base, you don't, you didn't need as much range because of utilizing shifting correctly. If you, if you knew how to do it, if you had a manager that was willing to utilize the data and utilize the information, but that's something that's going to change here this year. So you need guys that are going to be able to go and chase down some of those balls in the hole. So it will be fascinating to see if Wong really is beginning that downward trajectory from a defensive standpoint. And to your point, I, there really are not very good options on the free agent market from a second base standpoint. And, um, you know, I, if they fancy themselves a contender, which, you know, we, we can debate that all we want going into the season with, you know, Romy Gonzalez or, uh, Lenin Sosa really is not a palatable option. Larry Garcia exists. Yes, I did. I, I, I didn't, I didn't forget, but I chose to omit. Okay. I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure. Cause that could be an option that they're internally thinking. And if so could death. Yeah. Well, see, that's, that's the problem because when Larry Garcia is in your lineup, it really shortens your bench. Um, and and I think I, just to me, Steve, Yasmani Grandal is a giant waste if he is on your bench as a backup catcher and his bat isn't in the lineup. I can't envision a scenario in which Yasmani Grandal is going to be the backup catcher on this team. I so do. you think he's going to be behind the plate for I do. A, a hundred games this season? I, I would say that he is going to be the primary catcher coming out of the shoot here when this team leaves Arizona. And if they get to early to mid June and he is completely cooked, which is a very real possibility. I think they will reach out to New York and try and get James McCann back. Whatever. <laughs> um, if, if James McCann is your backup, you know, whatever. That's, did that we lose, did we lose faith in Sebi Zavala? I just never really had a ton of faith in Sebi Zavala to begin with. A lot of people like to take shots at, at Yaz and his defense. And in a lot of cases, it is justified. But I think a lot of those people are choosing to kind of turn a blind eye to some of the blunders that we saw from Sebi Zavala. And there are some kind of haphazard attempts at blocking balls in the dirt, uh, letting a lot of pass balls kind of get away from him. Yaz is obviously a lightning rod because he's the highest free agent acquisition in team history. And as pathetic as, as that sounds, so he's going to catch the brunt and the criticism uh, because of his shortcomings here. So, but again, I fully expect that he's going to be the main guy when camp breaks in Arizona and till June, at least they're going to try to see what they, what they have with him. And then if at that point he is totally cooked, I think then he goes by the wayside so much of what we've seen from the likes of, you know, a John Danks or a diamond Dallas Keuchel. It's a sunk cost at this point going into the final year of the deal. So I just think that's how this is going to play out. Yeah. You're, I mean, they're going to have to figure something out here. I, you talk about if you fancy yourself a competitor, um, that, to me, it's kind of the same question. 
is if if you really think you're going to be back at the top of the AL Central, I question whether or not trotting back out Yasmani Grandal with Sebi because you're going to see a stretch. I just feel it again where Yasmani Grandal is going to be on an IL stint because of the knees. And if you're going to tax him with that workload early this season, um, then, you know, that's not going to be great for the second half. And you're going to have that second half, much like 2021, where you're going to see a lot of Sebi Zavala. And you've got Perez down there as well. I wasn't really too impressed with what I saw from him at the big league level in this small sample size. But, Steve, I think that uh, it would be advantageous for them to take a look at stuff. I know you mentioned the, the, the Murphy stuff. I don't think they have what it takes to get that done. I think it would be just robbing Peter to pay Paul, uh, so to speak, to try and make that acquisition. But, uh, yeah, they're, they're going to have to figure something out here, and not only for this year, but what's the plan moving forward at catcher? I haven't really looked at what the market looks like next year uh, for free agent catchers, but they're going to have to figure that one out as well. Uh, Steve, I, you know, we talked a little offense. We've talked – uh, some defensive stuff and some pitching. Uh, but uh, there's one area that uh, I also want to address uh, before we get out of here, and that's the bullpen. We haven't really seen much movement uh, in anything here. When did the inevitable uh, moves come to continue to build Rick Hahn's Super Bullpen this offseason? Uh, are we weeks or months away from a back end of the bullpen acquisition that the Sox don't need to make? <laughs> If history is any guide, probably. I know I feel that that is just simply not a good allocation from a financial and from a roster spot perspective at this point. They've got dead weight in that bullpen already with Jake Diekman. And let's not forget, you've got Garrett Crochet coming back. I can't wait. Next year. I can't wait for Garrett Crochet to come back. In fact, he is, he is Steve, at this juncture – my, you know, the player that I'm going to watch the most uh, closely throughout uh, his return here to see what value he provides, because I think they severely missed Garrett Crochet and they had to overreact last year to having that piece missing in their bullpen or even as a spot start option. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm really excited for the return of Garrett Crochet. Yeah, it, it will be good. His absence definitely was felt last year. Obviously, that was one of the main predecessors that ultimately resulted in them going out and acquiring Jake Diekman, unfortunately. <laughs> um, you know, the idea of having three lefties in the bullpen is an interesting one, I think, especially now given the rules um, as it relates to relief pitcher usage and the, and the three batter minimum that exists i'm not sure that having three lefties is entirely necessary at this juncture could you could you move michael kopak back to the bullpen and no, throw garrett we're crochet not, no, we're not, no, absolutely under no circumstances no no that is that's something that obviously i know there was some discussion about that on twatter.com but let's be real about this here i don't i think garrett crochet has thrown more than 60 innings one time since he got to college at the university of tennessee so this idea and this belief that he can just transition to the starting rotation. 
I don't see it. There just simply is not enough volume there. He's going to be on innings restrictions here coming off of Tommy John surgery. So it just simply doesn't make sense. I kind of feel as though he might be on a similar plan to maybe what we saw with Michael Kopech in the 2021 season, where he is a multi-inning reliever, maybe tasked with going to get five to six outs in an appearance and maybe trying to piggyback him off of Kopech and, and the two of them together could be fascinating because you can really kind of wreak havoc a little bit with the opposition and some of the platoon games that might be tried to play um, there. So that's going to be a little interesting to see, but just this whole notion and this idea that Garrett Crochet can become a starting pitcher. I think that fallacy just simply needs to go out the window at this point. It is not going to happen. Well, I will say I agree with you on this, especially surface level, because just the innings limit that's going to exist. However, I'm wondering if they do roll out, you know, five right-handed starting pitchers, if, you know, you can throw Garrett Crochet out there against uh, a, a specific lineup and let him go two, three, kind of like you saw Michael Kopech. So as an opener? Yes, as an opener. This is the first time I'm ever advocating an opener situation, Steve. So this is breaking news here on Sox on Tap. But I can see that playing out in certain circumstances where you want a left-handed pitcher to be there for the first time through the order, especially the top of that order. I would say Garrett Crochet is probably the guy that slots in right there. You're not throwing Jake Diekman out there like that. Yeah, and I think that could potentially be a good deployment for Garrett Crochet and a nice way to, again, try to offset some of the platoon advantages that opposing teams might try to create when going up against the Sox. So that definitely will be an interesting thing to keep an eye on here and see if Pedro Grafal, um, Charlie Montoyo, and, and the rest of the coaching staff and, and analytics team within the organization, try to utilize here going forward. And we'll have to wait and see, man. I'm missing baseball extra hard today, Steve. It's, it's, it's just, we're, we're past Thanksgiving. We still got Christmas to go. And then the next holiday is. You're, you're not going to mention Festivus. Festivus is the next holiday coming up. For those who celebrate. If you don't celebrate Festivus, what are you even doing? I mean, I, I I don't think I've ever participated in a festivist, Steve. I'm, I'm You've unaware. missed out, my friend. Let unaware me tell you. of this mysterious mystical holiday uh, that you're you're speaking of. I mean, I know that on Thursday when it is December first, the festivist poll is going up. It's great because it requires no decoration whatsoever. That's just how I like it. Okay. Festivus poll. So are you going to share uh, on Twitter.com, everybody, the, the Festivus poll that you put up in in your household? Oh, abs- absolutely. I will definitely put it up there. Um, that is, listen, part of the uh, reason for the season is the Festivus poll. Got it. I, I'm, I'm super excited to see uh, the level of effort that goes into you setting up for, for Festivus. There really uh, is very minimal effort required. That's the whole point. That's, that's why it's perfect for me. That's fantastic. Steve, do you have any closing thoughts before we uh, get on out of here today? It was good to get on here once again, talk a little bit of White Sox baseball. We had some transactional news, kind of the first one of the winter here with a new acquisition coming into the fold here with Mike Clevenger. So always good to get together here for a little bit, chew the fat, talk some White Sox baseball.
Absolutely. Well, Steve, we are uh, just about out of time here. Uh, last messages uh, for everybody. I hope you enjoyed your Thanksgiving. Thank you for tuning in to the Socks on Tap Sunday Funday, Mike Clevenger edition. Be sure you're going to ontapsportsnet.com for all of your Chicago sports literature and podcasting needs. We've got great White Sox coverage over there, uh, talking everything that goes on with the Chicago White Sox. Uh, head on over to the White Sox section and check out uh, all of the the work that goes in from guys like uh, Matthew Berklin uh, at Sox and St. Our guy Besnick, uh, our, our guy Johnny Nani, Steve, and myself uh, covering the White Sox for you. And uh, Steve, let's uh, let's hope that there's more White Sox news to talk about uh, through this winter because getting on here uh, and and chewing the fat like you said is uh, what keeps me sane through the winter. So uh, hopefully the White Sox aren't done uh, just yet. We've got the uh, winter meetings are uh, just about upon us, Steve. Uh, hopefully uh, Rick Hahn is, is nice and active uh, during that period of time. So we'll be back uh, to discuss more hot stove action. Thank you all for tuning in. Uh, Steve, let's close this down how we always do. White Sox forever. White Sox for life. <laughs>